Good evening and welcome to Done by Law on 3CR 855am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. You're here with Beth in a pre-recorded segment of our show for tonight. We'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we are broadcasting and recording. Where I am, that is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Tonight's show is focused on Invasion Day. We're doubly lucky to be able to feature audio from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Services Invasion Day webinar this past Friday, the 21st of January, and to be speaking with Narita Waite, VALS CEO. Narita, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. In our brief chat, Narita and I will be focused on the importance of ending Aboriginal deaths in custody and the recent coroner's report on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander deaths by suicide. Firstly, last year was the 30th anniversary of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, which published 339 recommendations to end preventable deaths in custody of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. However, there have been 500 deaths of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in custody since the recommendations were published. Narita, what needs to change? Uh, certainly um, a lot needs to change. Um, you know, when I look at the fact that Ricky Dick started the year I was born, which is, you know, more than coming up, sadly, 35 years, and nothing like nothing substantive has changed. When I look at the fact that we have surpassed over 500 deaths last year and that, you know, our clients we represent the themes are the same. Um, you know, we have an, a lack of equivalent healthcare services. We have a harsh bail and parole systems. We have over-policing rational people and poor oversight and accountability mechanisms in the justice system. I, I just don't, at this point, um, we say this over and over again, but how many poor people have to die before these changes. We need the government to abandon its tough on crime agenda and adopt what are very reasonable recommendations that those struggling with poverty, homelessness, poor physical and mental health are helped and supported rather than criminalised. This means addressing systemic racism and institutional bias. It means reforming the bail law so rather than targeting those who are struggling with poverty and help and homelessness, it actually does target serious offenders, where at the moment it's targeting those who are in very disadvantaged circumstances like women fleeing family violence and coercive control, people who are transient and have no secure accommodation due to the lack of investment in social housing. Uh, we need to see improvements in sentencing um, reform particularly um, around those in disadvantaged communities. We need to see improvements in healthcare services to those interacting with the justice system, uh, not just in the area of physical health, but also mental health. Um, we need to address what has been continual overinvestment in police, which just results in more and more people being criminalised for rather minor offending. We also need to ensure that we implement OPCAT um, as a way to have another oversight and accountability mechanism in the justice system because we are in dire need of it. Otherwise, we'll see this all continue. Absolutely. Um, just such a broad sweeping range of really important things that need to occur. Um, and it seems that there hasn't been enough being done by half. Um, and OPCAT, uh, for our listeners, uh, what is OPCAT, just briefly? Oh, certainly. So um, OPCAT 
um, is the UN's Convention Against Torture, uh, which was set up um, to have inspectors to make unannounced inspection visits to places of detention, um, a move that for us um, will help protect against death in custody. Um, and we've seen not only us calling for the um, culturally appropriate implementation of OPCAP, but also organisations such as Change the Record, which is an Aboriginal-led justice coalition of legal health and family violence prevention experts. Um, and preventing the torture, abuse and death of First Nations people should be priority of any government, um, particularly when we've had some very horrific experiences um, like Don Dale, which I'm sure we can all um, recall quite quickly, as well as um, deaths of Aboriginal people like Veronica Nelson, um, like Heather Calgarrett. These things need to be addressed um, and OPCAP will certainly give us another oversight mechanism to make sure that governments are held to account. Absolutely. And now moving just through to talking about that uh, coroner's report. So in June 2020, the Victorian coroner released a report on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander suicides uh, with the aim of supporting prevention responses again across the state. Briefly, what were the main findings of that report and how does it highlight the need for change that VALS has been advocating for? Mm, so subsequent to that, they released the report um, just last Thursday for the death of um, from 218 to 221. Um, and sadly, what we saw um, is that we've seen First Nations deaths rise by 75%. Um, Aboriginal Islanders suicides occur most frequently in regional areas. And whilst the stresses are complex, of course, they mainly include contact with the justice system, insecure access to accommodation, family violence, the difficulties in accessing support services immediately prior to passing. This isn't news to us. Um, you know, during COVID-19, we saw a 450% increase um, in clients accessing our custody education service reporting self-harm attempts whilst in custody. Um, and a lot of the time, um, these clients were in deplorable conditions um, and really, really crying out, not only for access to appropriate services, but also access to culturally appropriate informed legal services, access to culture, community and king, which just wasn't possible through the series of lockdowns that Victorians went through for close to two years. Um, what we also see from, you know, a more um, broad perspective is that um, time and time again, themes such as systemic racism, family violence and poverty and lack of housing are repeated throughout. Um, and what, what I find most harrowing is that we all want to help. We all want to get in there and make sure that these deaths aren't occurring, but the resources just aren't there. Um, if we look you know, at Bowser's own experience, you know, we at the moment can't assist clients in mental health tribunal matters because we're not funded for it. We've gone up um, year after year through the budget process trying to develop place-based services so that our community have a place to go where they can access legal services, where they can access community services in a hub environment where they're supported and welcomed and they're designed by them for them. But that fails in favour of broader investment in corrections, police and mainstream legal services. So I'm hoping that um, this report really brings home to the government the need to urgently address not only the recent recommendations of vows in terms of the Royal Commission to Mental Health, um, but also the things that we've been calling on for generations in terms of let's address systemic racism. Let's make sure that Aboriginal people have access to services that are designed by them for them. And let's give these families some sense of hope um, and stop the loss of life within our communities. 
um, because you know generations of our families all we know um, is loss and despair and we really need to move into an era of hope and prosperity and you know really enjoy that fair go that many Australians hold close to their heart. Absolutely thanks so much Narita for speaking with us today um, we've been talking with Narita Waite CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and we're very lucky to also be able to feature in our show tonight some audio from the webinar that Val's ran uh, this Friday, the 21st of January, just past. That webinar featured a star lineup of speakers, um, including Mariki Onis, Marcus Stewart, and Tarnine Onis Williams. We'll cross now to some audio from that uh, webinar. Thanks so much, Marita, for speaking with us. Thank you, Beth. Hello everyone, welcome to Vowser's Invasion Day webinar. I would like to acknowledge and pay my respect to the Wurundjeri people, traditional coast and the lands that I'm on today, but also the traditional owners of people that, um, or countries that you may be on today, whether that be in Victoria, South Australia, or anywhere else um, from Australia, or hopefully even internationally. We also need to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, I'm Narita Waite. Um, I'm the CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Um, I've been lucky enough to work across many areas of the law for VALS, which has given me a front row seat to the disastrous and horrific effects our community suffered due to invasion and colonisation to this day. These impacts and experiences and voices of our clients and communities have informed much of our strategic work over the last 12 months, which has seen us contribute to legal and policy discussions on disability, mental health, systemic racism, sentencing, strip searching, drug offending, and many others. We've also been able to learn from and elevate the voices of Aboriginal women in our piece on coercive control, which I urge you all to read. We will continue over the course of 2022 to ensure our work is informed by community need and views and take every single opportunity to elevate the voices of thought leaders in our community. And we're lucky to have Maruki Onis on our um, panel today, who is one of those, to tackle the hard issues and engage government and the sector in constructive debate. I'm really pleased that we can host this webinar to share our expertise and to amplify the voices of our amazing panelists. Our panelists today include Mariki Onis, Marcus Stewart, and Tani Onis-Williams. Mariki, would you like to introduce yourself to start? Thank you, Narita. My name is Mariki Onis, and I'm from the Gunai and Gunditjmara people. I have a history of organising with warriors of Aboriginal resistance, and our work is most notably done um, on um, Invasion Day. Um, I've also got... Um, I've also worked in Aboriginal women's rights for about 10 years um, in an Aboriginal women's legal service. And I just recently completed my master's in Indigenous leadership and social equity. So thank you for having me and I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Marcus, your turn to let everybody know a little bit about yourself. Sure, thanks, Narita. Uh, my name is Marcus Stewart. I'm a Nereal and Bullock man of the Tunnarung Nation, Central Victoria, and elected co-chair of the First People's Assembly of Victoria, who are tasked with leading the journey towards treaty here. A bit about my background is um, clinical family therapy. I've worked as a therapist for quite a while and then found myself in different roles, including government and, uh, and the NGO sector. And looking forward and exciting to, uh, to have a chat today with um, our esteemed panellists. 
Thank you, Marcus. And lastly, but certainly not least, um, Tani and Keely, everybody know a little about yourself. Hi, everyone. Um, my name's Tani Nose Williams, and I'm a proud Gunujamara, Yorda Yorda, um, Bindu, and Erabama Islander person. Um, I live in Melbourne and I am on Wurundjeri country today. So I'd like to acknowledge uh, the land of the Wurundjeri people, and I want to acknowledge that their sovereignty was never ceded. And I'm, like, really grateful to be on their country and that this country looks after me. And so I feel really lucky for that. Um, I work at VALS as the Community Legal Education Officer and I'm also um, with Mariki, I'm organising with WAR, the Invasion Day protest, um, and I'm also a writer and do stuff like this so um and I have a couple of things to show you this up this afternoon so I'm really excited for that and look forward to the discussion as well thank you all the webinar is planned to go for an hour and we'll try to stick to that as closely as possible um, it's important to note that the content that we're discussing um, isn't easy and will potentially include references to Aboriginal and Islander people who have been who are deceased um, self-harm, trauma, violence, abuse, and racism. If any part of that discussion raises issues or concerns for you, we encourage Aboriginal Islander people to call Yarning Safe and Strong, a helpline run by the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service on 1800 959 563, and anyone can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. The next question um, is really important in the context of the things that I talked about in my opening, which is increasing Aboriginal deaths in custody and us losing, unfortunately, um, more people and um, more lives and, you know, a, a real loss of hope and uh, potential for the future with suicides increasing by 75%. And that is, what are, how can you actually dismantle systemic racism in Australia that often works to, you know, perpetuate cycles of disadvantage and lead to poor outcomes like this? And in answering that question, are there any other examples that, you think more people should know about? I'm, I'm happy to speak to this and I think there's no solid answer and I really like, you know, when I'm reading about um, abolition and um, Angela Davis's work, it's that we haven't ever really ever seen freedom in a tangible sense. It's something that we have to reimagine and, you know, and I've been doing a little bit of reading on emergent strategy and I really like, um, you know, some of the stuff that comes out of that. It's like just to focus on what we want and build the future of what we want to look like instead of, you know, I, I, and a lot of abolitionists say that um, abolition doesn't start inside the prison walls. It starts by building communities where people don't need prisons to exist. Um, and I think that there is no, we haven't actually seen what liberation or freedom looks like for Aboriginal people in this country. And that's why I really praise the work of Black artists because they're the ones imagining and creating the visuals and singing the songs and singing the songs of freedom for us. And so um, I know it sounds a bit, it's not a tangible answer, but it does exist and I don't think, you can discount what, what freedom can look like if we keep dreaming and building um, in unity together um, outside of the systems of violence. And we have to accept, and I think that, you know, I would love to see institutions like uh, VOWS and other legal institutions to really accept and embrace 
what abolition looks like in on a policy framework. And I think Sisters Inside do, do such a fabulous work, do amazing work in that space. Um, and I think that we need to abolish prisons and that needs to be an honest, fair um, policy platform that we that we um, that we look to. I don't know if that answers it, but you know, prisons do have a history of racism, that they're racist institutions to the core. Um, and we've lent a lot of how we how Australia um, how Australia um, runs prisons is very much of the American model, which is a product of slavery. It's so um, if you want to talk about a tangible way of reading racism in our societies, getting rid of prisons in our communities is a very good start and a tangible start, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Angela, Dr. Angela Davis's work, she talks about, you know, that prisons were the reform before, like, and that was the reform to stop, like, executions and um, other forms of dealing with crime in the community. And so, you know, like, we really do need to look outside of prisons and we need to look at different ways of dealing with harm in our communities because, like, they are destroying our communities and you know it also comes back to um capitalism and the, the cheap labor you know we think about Qantas who um we found out a couple of years ago that um women at DPFC were packing headphones for Qantas and so and then we there was also um Bunnings like I think there's one of the prisons here in Victoria um that the prisoners make little screws so you know like you have to look at why they exist and all the ways how they operate and all the companies that make money off them and mm. you know like we think about Telstra we think about the food that goes into there like what sort of clothes what companies like ASICs for instance they're the only shoes that you're allowed to wear inside some prisons in Victoria so we have to look at all of you know the businesses that have buy-in from prisons to um, understand why they exist and um, who's making money off it and the all of the destruction that it does to our communities and our society because I was reading, like, a young woman's post um, yesterday who was one of, my, one of my friends and family and she had been incarcerated last year and she said that she was only there for a month but it was... And she said, yeah, it might not seem like a long time, but it's just horrendous. And she said, nobody should be there. And we need to remember that no matter, it doesn't matter how, how the amount of time doesn't mean, doesn't matter if you're in remand or whatever, like those, these institutions are violent and they're not there to help our people. They're, they're there to take us off our land and to harm us more. Also, can I just add to that? Um, yeah, I went. I did the Beyond the Bars NADOC program where we went in and took the radio programs into the prisons, and we did a, a prison show in Port Phillip Prison. And I don't. I mean, it's the first time I'd ever been in that place, and it still it still stays with you. Just standing inside the walls of that place, it's an extremely violent place. And through that program, I went to see a few different prisons, but that one, that prison is a privately run prison, which um, is is an atrocity in itself, but they have to work uh, for $8 a day um, or their living standards will 
drop and you know they have to work for companies external to the prison like washing um linen for um other companies so the interlink of um capitalism within the prison system today that creates cheap or close to free labor you can't say that eight dollars a day is cheap labor that's almost free that's slavery in my opinion um and so there is slavery in victoria um that that um that the prison systems rely on to create money for Victoria to, to, to exist. So I think that we have to really, you know, it'd be really good to see um, Vows or the treaty to do a body of work on this and who's who's making money off of, of black slavery in Victoria. It's, it's, you know, I think we start there if we want to destroy racism. Um. I maybe I maybe should have gone first because that's really hard to follow. Um, I mean, you think, and I think about. So as I said earlier, treaty we see as a vehicle to reimagine what those systems and structures look like. And if I think about my time, um, well, I worked in corrections for a period of time when the bail reform was happening, and you look at the impact that that's had, and the attitude internally back then was tick and flick we we go about our business tick and flick that's just like you know we were just really token in there trying to create change and getting nowhere um but it was really insightful working there as well because you see how much is invested in that tertiary end and that's why we're not seeing outcomes the investment needs to be in keeping families together um and supporting and strengthening families i mean that's a critical body of my work you know working as a therapist and um, and I think that's the failure of this status quo system that people are, and governments are proud to be tough on crime. All they're saying is we're proud to tear Aboriginal families apart mm. um, on the basis of winning votes, that, um, you know, our lives aren't as important as holding power, maintaining power. And that's why truth-telling was so critical because it has to pull apart how exactly these systems are disproportionately impacting us. We need our allies to understand what this does because it's horrific. Sorry, Ricky. No, no. I mean, I think just to go on that, and one of the fears that I have with treaty um, is, and we've seen it in the US, examples of it in the US, where we just replicate the systems of harm but just get black hands to do it with less money. And I think I would love to see through the treaty uh, a transforming of the system that Aboriginal and all people can interact with. Because, you know, you see examples in Aotearoa where the Māori system transformation is actually a better system for the settlers to experience as well. So I don't see it as just an Aboriginal solution or problem. This is the, These systems are harmful for everybody. Um, and I'd love to see, I would, I would, you know, one of the greatest fears for treaty is just, are we just going to repl replicate systems of harm and just get black hands to do it with less money? You know, they have um, native police forces or an Aboriginal prison. Is that treaty? Is that self-determination? I don't think so. And, you know, I think if that can, if we can transform that and if that can happen, that will be a really good example of a treaty, in my opinion. And another thing on the treaty, um, I think we, when thinking about a treaty, it's a mechanism to transform settler colonialism. So I hope that, you know, this isn't just when the treaty has happened, that's not the end, it's just the beginning to continue to transform the system, but also hold 
the settler colonial state accountable through that mechanism. That would be, um, I've gone off track, but um, that's my say. <laughs> Might be off track, Mariki, but I certainly think it connects to the discussion and it's important to note. Um, and certainly it's a fear that um, I think is held widespread throughout community, um, that we don't want treaty to reiterate um, approaches taken in other countries which have failed to work. We want something transformative. Um, otherwise, it just feels like more of the same. Um, in uh, oh, sorry, Tani. I just, I just want to make one quick point just to jump on there because I think a lot of the focus is always about our history and, like, what happened in history. But I really want to know, like, what is our future going to look like? What do we want it to look like? And um, that's one thing I really want to see in treaty as well is, you know, what do we want the future to look like and how do we want to see these systems transformed from, like, education to the justice system, like, everything just needs to, you know, even if it doesn't get up, at least we know, like, and we have a, an idea of, like, what our future will look like, you know, in 50 years' time, 100 years' time. Um, so, yeah. Yes, I definitely agree with you, Tanin, that it's not only about short-term change, um, it is what that long-term future looks like um, into generations so that, you know, we're leaving a legacy that really does um, mean a better and brighter future for our communities. And like Mariki says, it's not just about helping Aboriginal communities. Um, when you look at, you know, the Maori examples, they produce excellent outcomes um, across New Zealand society because they just work better. Um, so I think we have a real opportunity here. So last question for um, all of you to answer. Um, what are two things you hope to see change in the future for our community? I know it's going to be hard to limit to two, but in interest of time, if you can, that'd be great. Um, well, I really want prisons to be abolished, of course. Um, but I also... Um, want patriarchal violence to stop so yeah um, I want to um, work together more and build a community that we all want to be in and um, and build power to be able to fight the system together in unity Marcus yeah great point um, I think I want to see I want to see treaty deliver. Aboriginal control um, over, um, you know, matters that directly impact us. So, you know, not, um, not a level of colonial oversight, Aboriginal communities having controls over matters that impact them most, um, you know, autonomy over that, uh, a right to self-governance, um, self-determination, ultimately sovereignty. That's what I want to see delivered into the future. And from a personal point of view, um, I want to see the government stop locking up our kids and raise the age. It's absolutely appalling. Thank you, Marcus. Um, and thanks to all the panellists today for your contributions. You've given us, I think, all plenty to reflect on in the lead up to Invasion Day, um, as well as just some thoughts for our organisation moving forward.
Um, if you'd like to support the work that BALS does, you can make a donation at bowels.org um, slash donate. Last year, we received 15% of our online donations for the year of Invasion Day, which informed the work um, that we've done in terms of um, the resources that you see um, today that we've published, but also all of the community work that we've done, including contributions to those um, who unfortunately have lost a loved one, whether it be through suicide, um, self-harm um, or a death in custody, but also just emergency assistance throughout the pandemic. Um, a reminder that if today's discussion raised any issues or concerns for you, we encourage Aboriginal Australian Islander people to call Yarning Safe and Strong um, at BARS, which is 1-800-959-563, and anyone can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Please take some time in the next week to reflect on the things we've discussed today um, and look to the resources that Mariki, um, Tani and Marcus have spoke to find ways to get engaged um, because, you know, we really do need to change and transform the system if we are to address the wrongs that we see day in, day out, um, particularly in the front end in our service. So um, thank you all again um, and I hope you all have a great weekend. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. Stay tuned for Voices of West Papua coming up next.